0: which of course are the vows that all parents take when their children are baptized at SGRC or at any Orthodox Presbyterian church. Baby Andrew should be baptized because God's word teaches that he is holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace. He is holy in Christ in the sense that God has set him apart unto himself covenantally along with his believing parents so that Andrew now has all the rights and privileges of the visible church. Just as the children of believing Abraham were set apart unto God covenantally and received the sign of the the covenant of grace, the children of believing parents today are, are holy, that is, set apart unto God covenantally and should receive the New Testament sign of the covenant of grace baptism, first vow. Do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to condemnation? They are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace and as children of the covenant are to be baptized. When parents take this first vow, they are acknowledging that their children are no different than any other children born in the world with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were conceived and born in sin. That means that because of original sin, our children, upon conception, are sinfully corrupt in their very natures. And in that sorrowful state, they are subject to God's just condemnation. Our babies are not sinful because they will eventually sin. They are sinful. Or, I'm sorry, they will eventually sin. Because they are born sinful by nature. Let me repeat that. Our babies are not sinful because they will eventually sin. They eventually sin because they are born sinful by nature. That's exactly what David meant in Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul meant also in Ephesians 2 when he described the world of men by their very natures as children of wrath. Aren't you encouraged, parents, to hear this? Aren't you glad you came to church? (laughs) Just to give you a reference point, this is where we totally agree with our Reformed Baptist brothers and sisters. Reformed Baptist vodi Bakum calls infants vipers in diapers. <laughs> and he does this in an attempt to get across this crucial biblical doctrine of original sin. Haven't you heard some parents introduce their young children around here? Hi, it's nice to meet you. Meet my son, total depravity. Meet my daughter, total depravity. It always seems to get a good laugh. But when you think about it, it's really no laughing matter, is it? Not really. Because apart from God graciously acting and changing the disposition of their hearts and bringing them to faith in Christ, they are justly headed for eternal condemnation. You know as well as I do that you don't have to teach children to sin. That's why some of you parents, particularly some of you mothers, we notice you, particularly some of you mothers, look like deer in headlights when you come into church. Because raising vipers and diapers is not easy at all. So we and our Reformed Baptist brothers and sisters are in perfect unity in regard to the doctrine of original sin. We both acknowledge that our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to divine condemnation. But that's where we begin to part ways with our brothers and sisters and the Lord regarding our children. I love the word although in this first vow. Because that word, although, sets the stage for believing parents to acknowledge that God has more to say about this. That word, although, sets the stage for believing parents to also acknowledge that God has a special redemptive purpose for them and their children in the covenant of grace. Do you acknowledge that although although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace and as children of the covenant are to be baptized. In the covenant of grace, God has graciously been setting the children of believers apart for himself since the time of Abraham and having those believing parents apply the covenant signed to them. This has been the case ever since God crystallized his promise to believing Abraham. Yes, he was saved the same way we were. He was justified by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And God said to him, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your seed. Well, we've thoroughly studied that. In God's word in recent years. This covenant promised Abraham applies to the nation of Israel, yes. But it ultimately applies to Abraham's spiritual descendants of faith. That's us. We're the children of Abraham by faith. Because we're manifesting the same faith as our father Abraham And God justified him and counted him as righteous through faith alone. And and, uh, that's us. That's us. And the divine promise to us is, I will be your God and the God of your seed. It's very important for us to see in this first vow that believing parents are acknowledging that their children are holy. Holy. Now that of course, now hear me, that of course does not mean that all of our children, of, all of the children of believers are or even will be saved. That's not what it means. But Christian parents can be very optimistic and encouraged because God sets their children apart unto himself covenantally for his special redemptive purposes. In Western culture, it's really hard to think of God dealing with and relating to groups of people in a special way, isn't it? But for example, in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, Moses writes this about Israel. He says, You are a holy people. That means you're set apart. You're my treasured possession of, out of all the peoples of the earth. You are a holy people. But that doesn't mean every single Israelite was saved. It means that the word holy in this context means that all of Israel was set apart unto God for the fulfilling of his redemptive purposes. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 7.14. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Because I believe that this verse can help us in our understanding of what it means to be set apart for God and unto God. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14 says... For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Paul addresses the issue of mixed marriages here in this chapter. In 1 Corinthians 7. And young people, I want to give you a warning. Paul is addressing mixed marriages, but I want to warn you young people, the Apostle Paul is not giving you leeway here to marry an unbeliever. I want to to get that straight. He's not giving you leeway to marry an unbeliever because he teaches in his second epistle to the Christians Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So do not walk down the aisle with an unbeliever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do not walk down the aisle with an unbeliever. Don't do it. But in this case, in 1 Corinthians 7, as the gospel moved into the Greek world, some husbands were believing and confessing Christ and their wives weren't. And some wives were trusting in Jesus Christ and their husbands weren't. And the believing spouses were suddenly very concerned about the pollution that now existed in their marital oneness and what that might mean for their children. Some were even wondering if they should divorce their unbelieving spouses. And Paul says, no. If the unbelieving spouse desires to stay in the marriage, you... Or to remain in the marriage. It won't be easy. You're going to be out of sync. At times it's going to feel like hell on earth. The unity of faith won't be there. But if the unbelieving partner desires to remain in the marriage, you are to remain in the marriage. But then Paul encourages the believing spouses with the truth of how God views their mixed marriage and their children. The language is delicate in verse 14, but Paul's point is that the marriage is still legitimate before God and blessed in the sense that the marriage is made holy because of the, un, of the believing partner. And the children are holy. The marriage is legitimate and made holy. And the children of that union are holy. That is, the children are set apart unto God for his redemptive purposes by virtue of at least one believing partner. Paul is not saying here that the child is necessarily saved. Paul is not referring here to salvific holiness. He's referring to a covenantal holiness that brings with it a great hope that Christian parents can have for the salvation of their children based on God's covenant promises to them. I try to encourage my Baptist brothers and sisters in Christ, not to do a word study on this uh, Greek word hagios, which is translated holy in verse 14. Because if they do, they will be in great danger, great danger of becoming Reformed Presbyterian. Hagios, in the context of... Mean in this context, means to be set apart unto God in an outward sense, in a group sense, in a family sense, for the accomplishment of God's good and gracious redemptive purposes in the covenant of grace. And really, as far as I've seen, the best a Baptist commentator can do on 1 Corinthians 7 7- 14, is to say, well, that child has an advantage uh, because he's under the influence of Christian parents. That's not the meaning of holiness when you do a word study on it. Because the children of believers are hagios, they are to be set apart, they are set apart, and they are to receive the sign of the covenant. And throughout the history of redemption, the Lord has always called His people to mark those who were set out for Him for a particular purpose. Aaron and the the Old Testament priests were set apart unto God and therefore they were marked with the anointing of oil. King David, for example, was called to be king of Israel and he was marked with the anointing of oil. He was marked And in accordance with the covenant of grace, the children of believers have always been set apart by God for his redemptive purposes and marked with the sign of the covenant and included with their parents in the visible church. But many today, my friends, insist that the children are now excluded from the visible church and that God's gracious covenant promises no longer apply to them. Not a chance. They are holy. They are holy. God commands that the sign of the covenant be applied to them. They are holy. Moses, I believe in Exodus chapter 3 or 4, Uh, neglected to apply the sign of the covenant to his child. And the Lord God was angry with Moses. These children are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace. Baptizing Andrew today doesn't make him a covenant child. He's already a covenant child. By virtue of his believing parents in the larger glorious covenant of grace. Baptizing Andrew is the sign of that gracious covenant promise from God, and what a sign it is. The washing of water with regeneration. It pictures all the glorious cleansing and blessing found in Jesus Christ and faith in him. You see the sign can be given before uh, sorry after faith as in the case of Abraham, and so we take professions of adults, we won't baptize them until they profess faith in Jesus Christ. So the sign can be given after a profession of faith, as in the case of Abraham, or it can be given before a profession of faith, as in the case of Abraham's children. And if the, if the child that receives the, the sign of the covenant is like Ishmael, he will be held that much more accountable. And our, 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 our children need to understand this. Baptizing Andrew today is also assurance to us here and it's a grace for the whole congregation it's a grace, an assurance from God that he will be faithful to his covenant promises to, because salvation is of the Lord. When we see this happen to those who are vulnerable and can't do anything, we're reminded that all of us are in that state. And that every part of our being is stained with sin. And we come into the world like that second vow. And I was very weighty on the first one, by the way. So, I want you to know that. Do you promise to teach diligently to your child the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church? Because there's such a wonderful summary of Christian doctrine from God's holy word, how you believe God views your children will make the difference on how you raise them. For Reformed Baptists, their children are viewed by God as vipers, as solely as vipers in diapers who have absolutely no place at all in the church. No place at all until... They profess faith in Jesus Christ. So that's how these children are going to be raised. If our Baptist brothers and sisters are consistent with what they believe, they are going to raise them as those who are outside of the church, as the children of the devil, who solely need evangelizing. Now contrast that with what I believe is a better view of Scripture. Raise your children as those who belong to God. And fathers, you can say about your whole family unit as Joshua did so many years ago, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The truth is, you should apply the covenant signed to your children if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and raise them up as the people of God and many of these children will grow up never knowing a time that they did not believe. We should teach our children the entirety of our holy Christian faith which is revealed in the Old Testament and the New Testament the whole Bible, and which is summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church. Children, you're doing a great job with your catechism. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in in Matthew 19? He said, let the little children come unto me. Forbid them not. I think that too many Christian disciples today are forbidding the children to come to Christ when he said this. He was in Judea beyond the Jordan where large crowds of Israelites were following him and bringing their children, and the word there is infants, for him to be, to give them their blessing. These were infant children who had received the sign of the covenant. And Jesus rebuked his disciples for treating them like a distraction and said, the kingdom belongs to such as these. You know, in our largely Baptistic culture and individualistic way of thinking, many Christians just boil what Jesus said to his disciples down uh, to this You have to have childlike faith. That's what's necessary for you to get into the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying there. I mean, that's solely what Jesus is saying. Oh, that's slick. That's really slick. You see, if it boils solely down to that, then it's not about the infants at all. It's only about the kind of faith that adults are supposed to have because Christianity is for adults only. No, Jesus was receiving the covenant infant children. And if he were physically on earth today, I think he would have another strong rebuke for much of the church today. The children of believing parents are embraced covenantally and have all the rights and privileges of the visible church and should be raised with the people of God. And if those children later deny the faith as adults. Third vow. Do you promise to pray regularly with and for your child and and to set an example of piety and godliness before him? Well, God uses means to accomplish his sovereign and redemptive purposes. He uses us. He uses our prayers. He uses the the means of grace that he has provided. And as you parents live lives of brokenness before God and growing dependence upon God in prayer, God graciously uses that as a means to bring his elect to faith in Jesus Christ. Parents should pray with and for their child in dependence upon God for all things. Didn't Jonah say it in the belly of the whale? Salvation is of the Lord. And if our children are to experience true, justifying, saving faith, then God alone must act. The third vow is, do you promise to pray regularly with and for your child and to set an example of piety and godliness before him? Fourth vow. Do you promise to endeavor by all the means that God has appointed to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging him to appropriate for him or herself the blessings, and fulfill the obligations of the covenant. If you're going to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the word of God must be central in your home. How can our children feed upon Christ through faith if they are not nurtured in God's word of grace? How can our children feed upon Christ through faith unless parents take Christ's church seriously and the means of grace that God has established for them and their children? Believe me, parents, your children have a very good sense, very good sense of how important the Lord's day and the worship of God's people is to you. Through God's ordained means at home and in Christ's church, your children, by God's grace, will be led by the Holy Spirit of God to a heartfelt sorrow over sin and confident faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ to cleanse them from all their sin. Through his ordained means, they, by God's grace, will then live in faithful, growing obedience to their creator and redeemer. Now, just a note from your pastor. I fell so short of this, it's not even funny. I bobbled. I was selfish. I thought about my things more than, than my calling on, from God. But God is faithful, even in that situation. Because if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But as believers hear the word preached and are taught week after week and meditate upon God's word at home, The Holy Spirit will grow us up with our children. And whatever stumbling we do in the process, God is faithful. Now, it's possible that we did everything right. That's not possible for me, but maybe for you. But let's just put that situation on the plate. It's not a guarantee. In other words, I don't think that you should look back back and whip yourself. Even, Even if you feel like you did it mostly wrong, which I do, I feel that way. But through the blood of Christ, He works. And because He views the family like this, and He views the children like this, It's amazing that you find out who's really faithful. It's him. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. And I want to encourage you that even if your children are older and still denying the faith, you can plead to God on their behalf. And you'll have another Augustine. Augustine, Because that's what his mother did for him. And so, hear the word of the Lord. And be encouraged by God's good and kind and gracious faithfulness. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Well children, we sang Psalm 71 earlier. And it had some good things to say. I want to know if you can relate to this at all. We sang this. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust from my youth. Children, do you know that today is the day of salvation? Today is the day for you to admit that you were born in sin. And that you need Jesus, God's Son, the Lord of glory. Oh Lord, you can say just what the psalmist, from my youth I trusted in you. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. Children, you can be one of those adults that comes back and says, you know, I didn't have a perfect church. The OPC doesn't stand for only perfect church, okay? I didn't have a perfect church. But I have Jesus. And there's never really been a time that I can tell you where I didn't have him. Because God has been so gracious. You took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Well, after the baptism, we're going to sing the second half of the great psalm. We're not going to have the Lord's Supper today. So let's take, at this time, let's turn, and I will pray, but let's turn to Psalm 71 again. Psalm 71, and let's all stand. Or, I think I did this wrong. I want to have the baptism first. Now you know I didn't do everything right in raising my children. Joel and Natalie, if you'll come at this time. I've got some questions for Joel and Natalie. Guess what they are? Joel and Natalie, do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to condemnation, they are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace and as children of the covenant are to be baptized. Do you promise to teach diligently to Andrew Nishan the principles of our holy Christian faith revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church? Do you promise to pray regularly with and for Andrew and to set an example of piety and godliness before him? you promise to endeavor by all the means that God has appointed to bring Andrew up to, I'm sorry, appointed to bring Andrew up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging him to appropriate for himself the blessings and fulfill the obligations of the covenant. Oh, Father, we know that those obligations are to be found in Christ through the empty hand of faith. And that in Christ, we will one day be made holy in the sense of being completely sanctified. And what a day that will be. May Andrew arrive safely at that glorious place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope I don't wake him. Well, I want him like this. Thank you. Andrew Nashon Harding, child of the covenant, I baptize you into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a towel here if you need it. Well,